Matthew chapter 11, and it's 816 in your pew Bible. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesies unto John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling for their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang the dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. 
But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and who are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's something really nice here about what Jesus does as, as we step into chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel. He, he just sent out his 12 disciples, if you recall, uh, where we were, and then he spoke quite generally about mission broadly, that all of us can expect this mission to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, as he put it in chapter 10 and verse 7. And the next thing that Jesus does, he himself gets back on task with that same message that he's been speaking about all this time since chapter 4. Like Jesus isn't above this work of the harvest that he just asked his followers to go and set about. No, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. And he is teaching and preaching all the way through. There's been an awful lot of wow stuff going on along the way, but nothing seems to stop Jesus in his main mission to preach and teach his basic message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as if to now be taught about that kingdom in verse 2, John the Baptist's disciples pop up again in the narrative and they need more teaching. They bring a question, a question that suggests that I don't know, either they can't make sense of Jesus' mission or his message about that kingdom, or, or if they do understand it, then they're not so sure that Jesus is the right guy to bring in that kind of kingdom. At one way or another, they're not sure if they should be expecting Jesus, verse 2, or someone else. And when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? It's a good question, but it's an interesting question coming uh, through John's disciples via John because uh, uh, one thing we can be clear on is that John himself had known that Jesus was the one to come. 
No question about it. We saw it back in chapter 3, actually, in our earlier series in Matthew, The Christ. Uh, It was quite a long time ago we were there, but to jog your memory, in John chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus came to John to be baptised in the river during John's ministry, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and you come to me? Yes, John knew full well who Jesus was and that he was the one to come. He was the one that John's whole ministry was directed towards. Everything that John did was to testify publicly to the world that that the one was coming and then to point him out when he came. Such that in the Gospel according to John, we read this about John the Baptist and Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29, The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. John says, but for this purpose I came baptising with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, the scripture goes on, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This was John's function, having been sent by God to identify Jesus to the world. So yes, 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 Jesus was known. John the Baptist knew that this is who he was when he first baptised him. This was the one to be expecting. So it would seem, therefore, in Matthew chapter 11 now, a little bit later, with John now in prison by this stage, either John's losing hope or losing patience in what God had revealed to him about Jesus and sent John to reveal to us about Jesus, or John is sending his disciples to Jesus with this question for their benefit, and then for our benefit too through all of this. The question is, I notice, in the first-person plural form, should we expect you, Jesus? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Notice again there in his answer, as Jesus sums everything up so far, yes, lots of wow things that are happening in his ministry, healing of all kinds and even raising the dead. But as always, Jesus won't let us get away from his mission and his message in that mission, that the poor should have good news preached to them. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, chapter 10 and verse 7. Blessed are the poor in spirit who just receive this good news from Jesus. The other things, though, the wow things aren't random 
wow things, mind you. They fulfill prophecies like Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, if you want to look those kinds of things up. Prophecies about the signs of God coming into this world. God coming into this world to proclaim salvation for his people and judgment for everyone else. But I wonder what John's disciples made of Jesus' answer as to both the fulfilled prophecy and the miracles that he's doing and this gospel that's going out to the poor. And that's the question that bubbles out of all this, uh, this whole first incident. Perhaps, perhaps the, the question that John's trying to make his disciples engage with. What should John's disciples have been expecting in Jesus? It's a question that you and I might reflect on too in, in our own lives. But meanwhile, John's disciples go back to him, we, we would think, verse 7, or, or perhaps they just wandered off. Uh, anyway, Jesus then asks his followers, or, or the crowds around him, what were they expecting from John? In verse 7, as John's disciples went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For centuries, Israel had been waiting for God to step into the world, to bring in his salvation and judgment. It was written in the prophets. And in the same way that Jesus just alluded to the prophet Isaiah in his answer to John's disciples, so now in that last verse 10, he he draws from the prophet Malachi to the people in the crowds around him. John was a prophet, sure, but more than that, he was a messenger, God's messenger. The messenger of God, foretold in the scriptures that is, sent ahead of him to let everyone know that the Lord himself was about to come. That's what Jesus is talking about here in verse 10. He actually recrafts this old scripture from Malachi just a little bit as if it was something that was said uh, between the father and the son. In the original scripture of Malachi 3 verse 1, it's just God speaking of God. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, said the Lord God in Malachi 3.1. Just like the prophet Isaiah that Jesus drew from in verse 5, so too the prophecy through Malachi that he picks up in verse 10, it's about the coming of the Lord. Malachi goes on, too, further about this messenger who comes first, a mysterious Elijah figure, which is what Jesus is then pointing us to in verse 14. Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That is, in Hebrew, before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. 
So what Jesus is saying to the crowds here in Matthew 11 is, is that what they should have been expecting about John the Baptist is that he was this messenger, the Elijah figure sent to get everyone ready for the coming of, of no less than Yahweh, the Lord. That John's whole ministry was about that, about preparing the way for God. And sure enough, God the Son, as John the Baptist had so clearly testified of Jesus at his baptism, was now here. You might wonder as you try to process all this in Matthew 11 why John himself then had once said that he wasn't the Elijah, uh, the prophet. In in John chapter 1, if you know that text, he was asked if he was Elijah the prophet. He said no. And yet, why Jesus here then says that he was. But they could well be two perfectly valid answers, just from different angles to the question around person and role. John may have simply meant that he wasn't Elijah reincarnate, but Jesus makes it clear that John has fulfilled the role of the Elijah who was to come. And while we tend to get hung up on, on that whole John and Elijah thing, actually Jesus is talking about the ministry of that messenger figure to declare the day of the Lord. In other words, him. And so really Jesus is making this all about him. What everyone should have expected of John out there in the wilderness baptising in the river is that John was pointing them all forward to him. Or in other words, the whole point of John was Jesus. And the even grander part of that claim using these old scriptures like Isaiah in verse 5 and Malachi in verse 10 is that Jesus is claiming in all of this to be God come into this world. Because those old prophets foretold those things and they foretold those things as as a curious mix of, of God's anointed one coming into the world and yet of God himself coming into the world. The messenger who would pronounce and announce that this has now happened, John the Baptist, had witnessed that most curious mix of things unfold. God the Father told him that the man he was baptising in the river on whom the Spirit of God came to rest was God the Son. It therefore seems quite fitting, given what Jesus is saying about himself here, that he then brings our focus back, as always, to the kingdom of heaven. Why would he go on to speak of anything less now that he has come? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If the least person in the kingdom of heaven should be greater than anyone born on earth, then suddenly all our hearts should desire, uh, all we really need is... It's just to be included in that kingdom, even if we're the least. Isn't this an exciting thing to hear for plain old sinners like you and me? How much this text all glorifies Jesus for what he came to do. 
And how high Jesus lifts up every poor person in spirit, verse 5, who just receives his good news. Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus, for he has come to grant them the kingdom. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus marks out for us a clear changeover of two different ages in regard to this gospel truth. The law and the prophets that had come before all promised this coming of God with his salvation and judgment. But in John's coming, a new age has been signalled. The Lord has now come. The kingdom of heaven is now at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What the law and the prophets had promised, John has now announced. And yet, as Jesus has been careful to remind us and point out to us through these chapters too, not everyone is going to receive the good news of his kingdom. But nevertheless, that's what everything comes down to. And so that's what Jesus goes on again to explain, that there is salvation for those who will receive his gospel, repent of their sin and turn to him, but that otherwise everyone remains condemned in their sin, facing God's judgment. That's the context of those scriptures Jesus just pulled from in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 and Malachi 3 and Malachi 4. That's the context, the coming of the Lord to bring salvation from what will otherwise be his judgment. So what else should we expect Jesus to now go on and preach and teach about? And he does, verse 16, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like kids sitting in the town square singing out to their mates. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. John's message, by the way, back in chapter 3, if you want to look it up later, had been the very same message of Jesus in chapter 4 and ever since. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But plenty of people rejected both John and Jesus. Not for their clothes, though, not for their lifestyle. It was their message that they would not receive. No matter how God tries to deliver this simple truth, some people just won't receive it. They'll want every messenger to dance to their tune. They won't hear this and be convicted in this message of their sin. They won't therefore concede any need to repent. And they will therefore be left where they always were, condemned in their sin. And God's judgment of sin must eventually come. If we won't turn from our sin and receive God's salvation, then what else should we expect? 
And since Jesus has come, uh, God the Son revealing himself to us in, in all kinds of wonders like, like healings and, and raising the dead and, and has told us and has shown us God's salvation to all who simply repent and trust in him, how much easier it should be, how much clearer it should be for the people living in this age that was marked in by John the Baptist that, that they must repent of their sin and be saved easier surely than than it would have been for those people in the previous times under the law and the prophets when all of this had only just been promised as still one day coming these people following around after jesus can can hear it with their own ears and they can see it with their own eyes how much easier this simple gospel call should now be and we too in the in the bright light of these scriptures can can also know precisely what God must do on the matter of our sin, but yet has done for our salvation. Christ came into the world to pay for our sin. We can now know this truth. As our call to worship this morning said in Psalm 98, how much truer is this today? The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Woe to those, says Jesus in verses 20 through 24, woe to those who know this now and yet still won't repent. Because if those wicked places in the scriptures from long ago had seen and heard what the Son of God has now said and done, then, then they might have jumped into this gospel. But these people in Jesus' day, gathering around him, listening to the Son of God come to bring the kingdom of heaven in, witnessing his divine power and authority in everything that he's been doing while he relentlessly preaches this message on the salvation of God that, that he has come to bring, then they they still won't turn from their sin? What then about you and I? It's a compelling and simple gospel. The kingdom of heaven is now at hand. Repent of your sin and Jesus will pay its debt for you and you shall have the forgiveness of God the forgiveness of God that permits you to come into his glorious and eternal kingdom. No repentance equals no forgiveness in Jesus equals no kingdom. But rather the only thing then left, God's righteous and inevitable judgment against sin. Some people, praise God, some people will receive Jesus' beautiful gospel. And so he goes on and speaks to that outcome too, that, that he has come to bring. Verse 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is definitely the one we should expect to answer John's disciples' question at the beginning. God the Father has entrusted everything and everyone to the Son, says Jesus. It's his yoke we now need to come under. So come to me, says Jesus. And he alone can offer rest for your souls, my friends, because he alone has secured the forgiveness of your sin. He is the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, who takes away our sin. What an easy yoke this is. Repent. And the kingdom of heaven is open to you in Jesus. So John the Baptist and, and his disciples and the crowds gathered around Jesus and, and Jesus' disciples who he was talking about in chapter 10 and, and you and I and everyone else in this world too. This is the Jesus we should expect. The one who holds in his hands the matter of our judgment for our sin or our repentance unto forgiveness, unto salvation through him. Everyone will fall at the feet of Jesus in the end. It has all been entrusted to him. The only question then is whether we come to him first to find rest. Will we have the forgiveness of our sin unto salvation and into his kingdom or will we refuse Jesus and perish in the judgment of our sin? And on that question, we ought to take note of Jesus' words here about this decision point to, to understand this thing. Those who see themselves as wise and understanding seem to be the ones who can't receive this good news. Presumably they feel no need to repent. But those with a simpler heart, a softer heart, like a child's heart, can receive this gospel truth. These are the people, yeah, they know they have done wrong. They know, therefore, too, that, yeah, they need forgiveness from God. And the mercy of God for the forgiveness of sin comes through Jesus Christ. So repent and find this rest that he speaks of, this rest that he can give to your soul. How sweet it is to hear Jesus say here that the salvation of our soul has been entrusted not to us, but to him. Worry not then, and, and look not then to, to yourself for such vital things. Look to Jesus and find your rest in him. And don't be oblivious to what Jesus has come for, like, like these people gathered around him who, who end up receiving all these woes. They've been distracted maybe by his miracles and his wonders, but but no short-term miracle can give rest to our soul. A temporary relief, yes, of course. But Jesus came to give us so much more than that. 
His miracles were called signs for a reason because they showed us who he was. They showed us his authority to do all that he promised and all that he has been entrusted to do. And what he ultimately promised and what has ultimately been entrusted to Jesus to do is this matter of saving us into the kingdom of heaven. His kingdom, mind you, where God will dwell forever with his people. And we can come into that kingdom, into that eternal joy and delight, into the safety and the presence and love of our wonderful God only and simply through the repentance of our sin for the forgiveness that Jesus did bring. Because we have all sinned against God, my friends. Let's not any of us make that kind of mistake. We have all sinned and yet God desires to to be with us. He desires us to be his people and him to be our God. He desires to commune with us closely, lovingly, personally and forever. And so our sin must be dealt with so that we can live in the arms of our holy God like so. And by his grace to us in Jesus Christ, we need only acknowledge our sin and turn from our sin in repentance. And in Jesus' name, the kingdom of heaven can be ours. Through Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, ours. Is that what you have been expecting of Jesus? Read through what Jesus says in this gospel and don't expect anything less. This is the good news. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have revealed to us in scriptures like this here in Matthew 11 today. Revealed to us about you. Revealed to us about your incarnate glory in Jesus. And reveal to us about us too. And that you came to call us to repentance, to save us from our sin. We thank you too for the way we know how this gospel ends from our previous series. That Jesus was offered like a lamb to to pay the penalty for our sin. That your righteous wrath that we have incurred in our sin has been satisfied when Jesus Christ died for our sin. Teach us then, Lord, to to repent and to live out that posture of repentance and to follow Jesus for everything that he came to bring. Write your forgiveness on our hearts today, Father, for eternity with our King. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.